Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting alongside my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, I want to begin today's show with uh, an acknowledgement that, uh, that our thoughts and concerns are with former Packers general manager Ted Thompson after a, uh, a fantastic weekend, his wonderful induction into the Packers Hall of Fame. He went public this week with a statement about a disorder, an autonomic disorder of his nervous system that he is dealing with, and it did lead to uh, him stepping away from the general manager role, obviously after the 2017 season. Just want to say we hope and pray that he can get the treatment and uh, and the management of the disease that he needs to to continue to, uh, to to lead a fruitful life because he certainly had a great one. Yeah, absolutely. And as I wrote an insider inbox for what was Thursday's edition, uh, Ted Thompson's not the kind of guy that's going to seek sympathy. He certainly doesn't want attention. That's never been right. uh, his primary uh, you know objective in life. But it is something that he felt was important to come out and talk about. Um, and, you know, it is it's life, right? And we deal with certain things. There's certain obstacles we have to overcome. You can check out the whole statement on Packers.com for a more thorough um, you know, explanation for his thoughts and, and the process that he's going through right now. You were there, though, on Saturday. Uh, just an emotional, uh, celebratory night. Yeah. And I know over the past few years, and, and I go back to a story that uh, from the NFL Combine in 18, uh, talking to John Snyder, and one of the questions I asked him, this was shortly after Ted stepped down from the GM post, right. and John you know, immediately got very emotional about it. You can tell how much he means to so many people. The Wolf family, you know, Snyder, John Dorsey, Reggie McKenzie was in attendance, uh, Scott McLuhan. Not only from a business perspective, not only from a scout perspective, but personally. Yeah. One of the more humble human beings you're ever going to come across. And as you said, Michael, we obviously wish him the best. Yeah, it was. It really was a neat ceremony on Saturday night, I'll say that. Not only looking at who all was in attendance. You mentioned Reggie McKenzie, John Dorsey. There were video messages from John Schneider, from Charles Woodson, from Aaron Rodgers. Jordy Nelson was there. Other Packers players, current and former, were there. I actually got uh, kind of got a kick out of the brief media session that we had with Mike Reinfeldt, yeah. who was his presenter um, for induction. Reinfeldt being a Houston Oilers teammate, going way back in the day when uh, when Ted was a football player, an NFL player, and and a pretty darn good one for ten years. Quite frankly, although some, he'll never admit to it, and he'll never right, he'll never admit to that. But for some pretty good Houston Oilers teams that came, you know, a, a razor thin margin from getting to a Super Bowl or two back in uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers heydays there in the AFC in the seventies. But just uh, getting Reinfeldt's perspective on the type of the type of teammate Ted Thompson was as a player. And then as their relationship evolved and their friendship got even closer, I think, as they were both executives with the Green Bay Packers, then went their separate ways with different franchises. I just found Mike Reinfeldt to be a very interesting, engaging guy. And, and the story that I wrote Saturday night on our website uh, from the ceremony included a lot of comments from him. I just, uh, you know, I, I was really entertained as well as uh, informed about a lot of things about Ted Thompson and what makes the man based on what Reinfeldt said. Yeah, and it was really interesting, too, because, I mean, there were certain things I did know in there, but in terms of, like, actually remembering, I mean, we always look at Ted Thompson from the Ron Wolf tree. Reinfeldt was the one that helped facilitate that. 
he was the one that sort of helped him get his foot in the door from you know after he was doing whatever it was sales or whatever yeah. the, the profession he went into shortly thereafter he's sort of an offshoot to this whole tree uh in in terms of ted thompson and his development certainly two very good friends uh and for him to be back you could tell you know, even watching the videos with Ted, just what that meant for him to, to have Reinfeld being the one to present him for induction and, and certainly a, a very a very emotional but a, a very um, blessed night as well. Yeah, it was a neat night with, uh, and I counted it up, He's Ted Thompson is only the seventh individual to ever be inducted into the oh, Packers really? Hall of Fame as a class of one. And I'm going to see if I can do this, if I can remember oh, all boy. the others. The other six, two of them were players, Brett Favre and Reggie White, Reggie White being posthumously, unfortunately. Sure. Um, but then the others, Mike Holmgren, Bob Harlan, Ron Wolf, and William Brault, who is a Packers executive and the founder of the Packers Hall of Fame. So that's the class that Ted Thompson is in in terms of being a, an induction class of one. I think, I, just, I think that's a really interesting list. And, uh, and I'm glad for Ted Thompson that he was able to have that night, you know, very much focused on him. Absolutely. And then obviously the focus was on him in the ceremony and everything that went into that. I do have to give a quick shout out to Cliff Crystal as well. Yes. Getting yes. The, the Bart and Cherry star. Yes, uh, I, should not, I should not ignore that. But you're right. He was the only Hall of Fame induction. But it was neat to see Cliff get that honor as well. Uh, Packers historian. Honestly, a mentor to me, a mentor to so many on this beat. Me as well. Uh, just a, a tremendous, uh, a guy that is fully devoted to making sure the Packers history is remembered accurately, uh, getting those stories correct has sort of been his charge here in pseudo-retirement. Yes, getting um, everything recorded factually, and he's been a big part of a lot of, the, a lot of what's been going on here over the 100th season yeah. celebration uh, you know, and, and all of that with regards to getting history recorded. I do have to say it was somewhat funny to see he was getting the Bart and Cherry Star Award. You know, if, if you know the history there with, <laughs> with Cliff, he covered Bart when he was the head coach as well. Right. Cliff is as much of an intrepid bulldog reporter mm -hmm. as it can be. Um, you know, and obviously a guy that over the years, I mean, players, coaches knew who he was. And it was fitting, though, also to see that put onto it in, in terms of his service and, and what he did over the last 50 years to uh, make sure that Packers history is remembered accurately. Yeah, well, Cliff's been a treasure to have here in this building as Packers historian. We have uh, one of a kind re regular postings on our website with, uh, with historical biographies and, and other perspectives on Packers history. Just a real treasure. I learn something every time I read something that, that uh, Cliff Crystal writes. So uh, with that, Wes, I want to shift gears momentarily to um, just going to toss out a question here for you with regards to the Packers draft class. We've talked about a lot already, eight players in the class, two first rounders, all of that. I want to ask you, and I'll give you my answer as well. Is there one of these eight draft picks that is the most intriguing to you in terms of, and what I mean by intriguing is following that player's progress through his rookie season, kind sure. of the guy that you're maybe going to have a little bit of an extra eye on just because of what you know about him and maybe what you think could be down the road for him. Is there one of those guys that stands out to you in that regard? During our pre-production meeting, you threw this at me, so you gave me a chance to kind of think and I gave you a slight heads up. My thoughts and my mind. I'm just hoping you don't pick the guy that I'm going to pick because we didn't discuss we our didn't, answers. We didn't, and I might end up doing it uh, because the first, the two first-round picks are too easy. Right. Uh, Savage is going to play a lot. We're going to see a lot of him, and obviously Gary coming in with the expectations of number 12. Mine is Kingsley Kiki. Okay. Did I do it? Did I pick it? No, you didn't. Okay. I have a different one, so go ahead. Uh, 
Kiki is interesting for me because there just are so many questions of what his position is going to be in the NFL, how he's going to be utilized. His weight fluctuated in college. They played him at a number of different spots, at a number of different weights. Uh, seeing him get a chance to settle in now, you don't do that in the NFL. He's not going to be asked to play at 330 and then be down to 285 or something like that. Yeah. Whatever weight the training staff figures him to be at, that's where his long-term plan is going to be. So seeing him get to settle into that I think is going to be really intriguing. This is a guy, too, I know the Packers really thought very highly of. I would not be surprised at all if they had a higher than a fifth-round grade on him just based on his skill I think skill that's set. almost a certainty, yeah. So, I mean, for him now to come into the NFL, defensive line's a tough position. It's a tough position to get your feet in the dirt on day one and make an impact, but I really like adding him to the rotation. I just think it's been 23 consecutive years where the Packers have drafted a defensive lineman. Kingsley Kiki, I didn't know a lot about him in the pre-draft process, yeah. but the more we read about him, the more film I watch of him in what he did in college, I just think that he's the type of guy that has a lot of potential and found ways to get after the quarterback in a conference where that's not always easy to do. Yeah, it definitely isn't easy to do. And my guy, coincidentally, is Kingsley Kiki's teammate. Okay, good. And I'm going to go with Jay Sternberger, the third-round draft pick and tight end out of Texas A&M, just like Kiki. And I say this, he's he's my most intriguing guy for this reason. You and I have talked about how tight end, it's a tough spot to come in and make an impact right away in the NFL. There is a developmental process to becoming a fully formed, well-rounded, however you want to say it, tight end in this league. But what really intrigues me about Sternberger is this is a guy who went from junior college <clears throat> where when he got to that junior college, he wasn't even number one on the depth chart. Right. He was like two or three. He works his way up at junior college. Then from there, he jumps into the SEC, and in one season of SEC football at Texas A&M, he averages 17 yards a catch and, and gets 10 touchdowns. Yeah. I'm not going to discount the developmental process that a guy like this needs coming into the NFL. Certainly, by all accounts, the, the blocking and those responsibilities that he's going to need to learn as a tight end, that's going to take some time. But a guy who can go from junior college to the SEC yeah. in one year and do what he did, it makes me really, really curious just what he might be able to do in a rookie year with the Packers when he's at a position that he's not jumping in as the right. number one guy. J Jimmy Graham is going to be the number one receiving target tight end in this offense. There is absolutely no question about that. So he doesn't have all of this pressure being thrown on him to be the guy at the position, even though the Packers clearly invested a very high draft pick in him. So for those reasons, he's kind of my most intriguing pick as far as watching that rookie year progress. You raise a lot of great points there, namely the first one being I think he is a guy that gets it. Uh, you don't just go into the SEC. You don't go into that program with Jimbo Fisher and just hit the ground running like that if there isn't a pretty light, you know, bright bulb in the in the light. Yeah. He he has that. And it will be interesting to see how quickly he can pick up this game now moving on to the next level. The other thing that I really enjoy about him and in, in listening to his story and, and where he comes from is the fact that there just seems to be a lot of untapped potential. Even with the success he had last year in the SEC and at Texas A&M, this is a guy that I still think has his best football ahead of him in terms of just what his ceiling can be. I, I think that 
that was just scratching the surface last year. Yeah. And that's certainly one of the reasons why the Packers made the move that they did to take him where they did. And lastly, you brought up the best point of all. He has a chance to learn at his own pace. That's something the tight ends here in Green Bay haven't had in quite some time. Richard Rodgers had to play a lot as a rookie. Yep. Jermichael Finley basically got shoved in there right with Donald Lee, and it didn't take him too much long to sort of become that next guy. And certainly, you know, Bubba Franks, when he came in as well, was looked at as the day one starter. I, I really like this setup for Sternberger. And listening last year to Robert Tanyan talk about how helpful it was to work with Graham and Mercedes Lewis, how open they were with their mind and their knowledge. Yeah. I just think that's going to be the perfect compliment to set him up for success. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, uh, Wes, a little bit of sponsor business here, the powerful noise canceling technology that helps NFL coaches block out 80,000 screaming fans can get you closer to the music you love. Learn more at www.bose.com slash Packers, Bose, the official headphones of the Green Bay Packers. And at home or here in the stands, we all know that Green Bay fans give it their all, and that takes a lot of energy. So grab a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Packers fans everywhere. Try the delicious classic chicken noodle soup. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, official soup partner of the Green Bay Packers. Okay, I'm going to throw another question at you. I did the great on the first one. I'm excited to build some momentum here. And don't take my answer on this one either. I'll try not to. help it, even though you don't know what my answer is going to be. Well, all right, what what I'm going to throw at you here, we're going to, between now and the end of July, and even through July and August, this is a type of topic we're going to talk about a lot, but I'm just going to throw it out there today as a a one-off, so to speak. What position battle, position competition, as the Packers 90-man roster stands right now, are you most looking forward to seeing unfold when training camp rolls around, the pads go on, the preseason games start, all of that? Absolutely. I think I know what this answer is. I think I know what you're thinking. Okay. In my my initial pick would be receiver. Just because it's it's so that's not what I was thinking. So if you all right, great. So I'm going to run with it then, because otherwise I was going to pivot. It's wide receiver. Okay. I just think I I was trying to think about this a couple days ago, and someone asked about in in insider inbox. You know, with the undrafted rookies coming in and the opportunity in front of them, without there being drafted players ahead of them as in this rookie class. And I was trying to think of another year where it's been this wide open. We we did talk about it last year. Okay, beyond you know Devontae Adams and beyond. Randall Cobb, what was else there? This year, it's beyond Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. Uh, that number two job's up for grabs. The number three job's up for grabs. And those are every down positions, particularly in Matt LaFleur's offense. Yeah, no doubt. So Geronimo Allison, I think he's set up for success. I think this is the best undrafted receiver the Packers have ever had uh, in this Ted Thompson, Brian Gutekunst era. Sure. I just think that there's so many different things he offers, and I, I just I see his skill set as something that could really be complemented by the scheme that LaFleur wants to run. But you also have the three rookies coming back from last year. Marquez Valdez-Scantling finished, what was it, third or fourth in yards per catch uh, among you know qualifying receivers last year. I thought Equinemia St. Brown did some good things. Jamon Moore is the former fourth-round pick. Jake Kumaro, despite all of the obstacles, all the hurdles, the uphill climb last year still makes the 53 and then ends up back there after the stint on IR last year. Trevor Davis is coming back off the hamstring injury. Yeah. You have Alan Lazard. You, you have Matthew Eaton. They have so many different guys that are competing for jobs. It's about what they can do as returners. It's about what they can do in the slot, in the perimeter. You have to put together a full performance – 
in camp to not only earn a job, but to earn a role that's there in this offense. And I'm excited to see that battle play out. Yeah, I think we went into last year feeling that with Adams and Cobb that the number three wide receiver spot was sort of Geronimo Allison's to lose. Yeah. And he didn't, and he lose, didn't it. lose it. He absolutely he grabbed yeah. hold of it right from the beginning, and nobody really seriously challenged him for that. I think in a lot of ways, I feel the same way about the number two spot heading into this season, sure. that it's Allison's to lose. But that's not to say that somebody else couldn't potentially rise up and grab it. And what intrigues me about about this receiver competition coming up is, especially when you're talking about those three draft picks from a year ago, MVS and EQ and Jamon Moore, that they were all kind of at different stages in a way as their rookie years ended. But now they're all going to be learning a new right. offense. There's a little bit of a clean slate in some respects for all of them in, term, in terms of where do you go from here. And, uh, and that, that, I think, adds a little bit of intrigue to this. And, and can one of them or can Jake Kumaro, you know, seriously challenge Ger- Geronimo Allison for that, uh, for that number two spot? I think the coaching staff would love to see that challenge develop because maybe that pushes Geronimo Allison right. even even more to to uh, to you know rise above and and produce at a level that maybe he hasn't quite reached yet. And uh, so all of that I think is very exciting and intriguing when it comes to the wide receivers. Yeah, I think when it's all said and done, assuming everything turns out okay with the core injury and he, and he gets through training camp, uh, you know, feeling all right. I, I mean, Allison, I believe, will be a starter in this offense. Now yep. the question is whether or not it's the slot or the perimeter. They left the, the door open that they feel like he could handle the slot if it comes to that. Sure. Whereas Jake Kumro, I thought one of the more interesting comments of the offseason, Matt LaFour says he sees him as a perimeter receiver. That's his spot. So, um, yeah, how that competition weighs out is going to be fun to watch. But that wasn't your pick. No. I'm interested to see what it was. It wasn't. My pick is actually, and I'm staying on the offensive side of the ball, but I'm going to say running back. Okay. And and the reason I say that is because, and I could be completely all wrong here, and we're really not going to know how things are going to shake out at running back until you get to the preseason games and the carries are real and the guys actually start getting tackled mm-hmm. and the pads are on. There are so many things that happen in the live action that don't happen in a training camp practice in terms of how a running back competition is going to shake out. But I really feel that Aaron Jones, based on his skill set, and what he would bring to a Matt LaFleur-type offense is going to be the clear-cut number one running back in this offense. But the idea of Jamal Williams, Dexter Williams, the sixth-round pick from Notre Dame, who was drafted for his specific skill set with regards to the outside zone scheme, and then a guy like Capri Bibbs, who has some experience in the NFL. He's, He's not a rookie. He's not just a new kid on the block kind of thing. Those three guys... You know, the way I see it right now, I think it could be a really, really interesting competition for who's going to be the number two. But even if I say this right, not even so much necessarily who's going to be the number two, but what role is each guy going to have? Like, where does each of the, if Aaron Jones is the number one, then where do the rest of these running backs fit and how are they going to be used? in an offense that we haven't seen on the field yet. To me, that's a really uh, that's a really intriguing development that we're going to be following come summertime. I'm glad you raised that point because the other thing that's really intriguing about it is will the Packers carry a fullback, and how does that factor Absolutely. into Capri yeah. Bibbs and Dexter Williams trying to make a bit at a roster spot? Right. Danny Vitale was on the roster at the end of last season. They also have Malcolm Johnson, who is more of a traditional fullback, even though they list him as a running back. Those guys are going to be competing. And Trey Carson, who actually was on this roster at one point last year as well, 
a lot of depth, a lot of versatility, and it, the great thing is, is you're going to be able to see it in training camp, and you'll see it in the preseason. That's when those guys really get a chance to show what they can really, sh- what they can do, really have an opportunity to shine. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it's it's Aaron Jones, it's Jamal Williams, and trying to figure out the rest of the depth chart after that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, Wes, I think we're going to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. Subscribe to our podcast and like us on iTunes and other podcast services if you're so inclined. On Twitter, you can follow him at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you.